Last week we talked about the gospel, and not just any gospel. If you've been in church for a long time, or you've grown, in, grown up in church, or you've been in church for even just a few weeks, you've probably heard this term, the gospel, okay? Which translates to the good news. The good news of what, though, is what we examined last week. And we talked about how the good news, when Jesus talks about that, he always couples it with another term, the kingdom of heaven. He always says, I need to preach the good news of the kingdom or of the kingdom of heaven. And so we examined what that meant. Now, if you think that the kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, has anything to do with the gospel, then the next question is, what is my role in the kingdom? We talked last week about the gospel, this good news, is not just about I'm saved from something. It also means I'm saved for something. And that's the good news of the kingdom, to participate in that kingdom. Well, what does my role look like in the kingdom if I want to be a follower of Jesus? What does that look like? And I want to examine uh, this by looking at what our culture thinks of itself. And I want to ask the question to you, what do you think about the way that you look? like? How do you envision yourself? Do you like the image of yourself? Do you like who you are? These are tough questions, right? Our, our culture seems to like who they are because when you get on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat or whatever it is, you find lots of pictures. And I want to put some of these up here for you. Let's start with the first one. Look at this guy. He's on the edge of a cliff. It's strategically placed here, right? Like somebody else is taking a picture of him, of him taking a picture of his feet hanging off of a cliff. And what we can't tell is how far down it is, but by implication, what he's trying to say to us is like, I'm living on the edge here, right? Like this is dangerous. I want us to examine these photos by saying, getting at the question, what does this guy think about himself? But obviously he's posted this online so that other people can see him, so that other people can think something about him. And in his mind, he's like, I want other people to think something about me. But really what he's, what he's really saying is, I think something about myself, whether positive or negative, whether depressing and not good, or I'm really egotistical and I'm awesome... Or something like that. And you might be saying you're, you're projecting worth. But I'm just, go with me here for a minute. He's kind of like, it's one of those things. And he's like, I actually don't know who I am unless I post this online and get a reaction. Like likes, you know, on Instagram or little hearts or, or thumbs up and that kind of thing. Let's look at another one. We, we, have, we go to extreme lengths. And by we, I mean our culture to give ourselves validation. Why can't she just take a picture of herself? Why can't she take a picture of herself on the ground looking up? Why can't she take a picture of herself in the window looking down like that? No, she's got to climb out on the scaffolding, okay, and take this picture like this. Now let's look at this one. No way. <laughs> yes! I mean, seriously, this is our culture. And I'm not cool enough. I'm not awesome enough. 
I'm not hip, I'm not with it, whatever you want to say, unless I can do something like this. What are, you, what are we trying to prove? And are we trying to prove it to someone else, or are you trying to prove it to yourself? To yourself. I mean, it's called a selfie. Think about the implications of that. They are trying to provide, at least temporarily, an answer to the question, who am I? And by posting it on social media, it's like, if I don't get anybody to like, like this or put a little heart on it or something like that, then it didn't work and I don't know who I am and I don't feel good about myself and blah, 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 you know? Well, this is who I am. I'm a risk taker. I'm doing all the cool things that people do and I'm going to all the cool places that people go to because if I don't do, don't do those things and if I don't uh, take a photo of every little thing that I do on vacation, then I don't, you know, then nobody knows and I don't exist or something like that. And a large part of the answer to this question of who am I, so that's the question they're asking, that's the question we're going to ask today, who am I? Well, this is who I am. I'm a risk taker. I'm all these kinds of things. People, really, people don't know who they are anymore. So we post these selfies. And sure, you can, I'm not, you put pictures up online. I do that too. We just went to Oregon and I did the little thing where you can make a little video on Instagram and I felt, I felt really old actually. <laughs> it took me like three times to figure it out because I was making a mistake, you know? So I, it wouldn't work right. I put like nine photos in and only one kept repeating itself. And I'm like, delete, hope nobody saw that, you know, type of thing. There is the aspect of I'm just sharing this and I want people to know and my family will see this and my friends will see this and it's just sharing, right? But then, then there's this underneath part where there's this need for acceptance and self-worth and validation. There's a really good movie on YouTube. It's like 30 minutes long called Validation. You should go. That's for free. Go watch, watch that when you have a chance. But what's my role in the kingdom? Because the problem, the problem goes deep when we always look for others to give us validation and self-worth. I've said it before and I'll say it again. What we tend to do as a culture is we let someone else give us our identity, someone outside of ourselves. It's the rare person who is comfortable in their own skin who doesn't need some type of backup or validation or corroboration to help them feel good about themselves. Another, another way besides the selfies to examine this question of who am I um, is to ask the question, who talks to you the most? Think about that for a minute. Who talks to you the most? Got an answer in your head? You're talking to yourself in your head right now. Who talks to you the most? You do. You talk to yourself the most. Ladies, this is why guys are always silent. They are talking. They're just not moving their mouth. It's just like, <laughs> you know, I know. My wife's like, you're not responding to me. I'm thinking about it. It's just not coming out, you know. Um, who talks to you the most? You actually talk to yourself the most in your head. And when you're talking to yourself, what are you saying to yourself about yourself? You know, some of the things you think about yourself if someone else said those things that you already think about yourself, if they said those same exact things to you, you would get really mad if someone else said those things to you, right? So as a part of our discipleship series, 
this journey we're on of becoming like Jesus, it's extremely helpful to ask the question, uh, not just who I am, there's a better question than that. To go to the source of who created us and ask this question, who does God say that you are? Who does God say that I am? And I want to approach that today by looking at several scriptures. So I want to start way back in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, where it says this. It says, then God said, let us, we'll get into this another time. Let us, wait, what? Us? <laughs> let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. That verse says that we were created in God's image. We are created in God's image. That's where it began. We are created in His own image or in their own image. Male and female, He created them. That's the beginning of the story. God's story in Scripture is that He is pursuing us. He is pursuing you. He is after you. Because he spent a lot of time creating you in his image. He created you to be a good and whole and beautiful person. And he made you who you are. And I don't know if anybody else in here does this. You can say, you can say that to yourself in your head. God created me to be good and whole and beautiful. And he, ha- he created us in his image. But then if you're like, I don't know if anybody else in here is like this. But I fight that. I fight that all the time. I fight that in my actions. I really fight that in my head. I do all this self-doubt talk about who I am. God, you made me to be something, but I don't believe it. Sometimes we do believe God made us this way, good and whole and full of beauty and and worth. But more often than not, it's easier for us to believe that about someone else. Which, Yeah, he made that for you, but not for me when I really get down to it. As the story continues, you get to all these different heroes of the faith. One of them was David. He wrote a lot of what we have in the book of Psalms. I want to take you to one psalm in particular, and it'll give us a picture of what God knows about you, what he believes about you. It's Psalm 139. You can look that up in in your text or on your device. We'll put it up on the screen. Actually... We're not going to put it up on the screen. If, if you don't have this, just listen. Maybe close your eyes. And, and we will just kind of, we'll just kind of marinate in this for a minute. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Whoa. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in, behind, and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Anybody ever want to run away from God? Where can I go? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand 
will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. He's acquainted with all of our ways. He knows us in our inmost being. He knows we want to run away from him and hide. But there's nowhere to go where we can. And even knowing everything about us, he formed our inward parts and he sets a path for each of us. For each of us. What I'm getting at is you have this innate thing in you that God put there. Something integral to the way that he wanted you to be. You might call it your personality. You might call it your soul. But there's something that he gifted you with. When God was looking at this time, at this place, today, right now, right here, knowing that you would be in here, knowing that you would be in here, he knew you way back when this was going to happen. He knew you then, even though you didn't exist. Mind-blowing. He knew you. He knew that you needed to be here. He knew that you needed to be here. He made you for a purpose in this time, in this place, in His kingdom. In His kingdom. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? You are not an accident. You are not a whoops. <laughs> you are not a mistake. And neither am I. Even though I tell myself that. And even though you do too. He says, no you aren't. I made you for this time, for this place. For my kingdom. In case you're doubting that, there's a bunch of Proverbs we could read about this as well. Proverbs 16.9, for example, says, In their hearts, humans plan their course. Humans plan their course. But the Lord establishes their steps. I'm not going to tell you I know exactly what that means. I just know there's too many times already in my life even with groups of others, our elders, we pray, we make plans, we go, yes, we're going to do this, and then it goes sideways. And we think it's bad, and then all of a sudden, we're in a new place with new opportunities and amazing things are happening. And we thought we had our best laid plans all mapped out. And we're, It's not that we shouldn't plan, but the Scriptures tell us that the Lord establishes their steps. You have this thing in you Psalm 139 tells us you have this thing in you that he, he built you from the very beginning. He formed you. There's something inside you that you didn't get from your parents. 
but you did get from God that's deep inside of you. The question is, what is that thing that God has put in you that he wants you to deliver into his kingdom? Maybe you're a good listener. That's not my strength, by the way. Usually isn't for pastors. It just depends on the pastor, I guess. Some pastors are very pastoral. Maybe you're a counselor. Maybe you're a helper. Maybe you're a carpenter. Maybe you're a good strategic planner. Maybe you're a fixer, a problem solver, an idea creator. Maybe you're good at making money. Maybe you're a people person. Maybe you're an entrepreneur. Maybe you're the life of the party. Maybe you're good at fighting for those in need. What is the one thing that you're wired to do no matter what's going on in life and no matter where you work, no matter what your day job is, whatever puts the food on the table, that's one thing. But there's this other thing that you have to do. Maybe you've never stepped into it. Maybe you just kind of had this tickle in the back of your mind. I should be doing this. It's the innermost part of you that has to express itself. And you all have one because God put it there for the kingdom around you to be blessed by it. And there are plenty of examples of this in our scriptures, countless ones. I I thought of a bunch. What I settled on was Moses, because I think a lot of people are very familiar with the story of Moses. You guys familiar with that story? Yeah? Many of you are. So it starts out where he's born, and in the beginning of the story, the Hebrew people are growing by vast numbers. And the Egyptians are kind of like, well, if we keep letting them grow, at some point they're going to outnumber us and they can revolt. And so what does Pharaoh decide to do? He decides to kill off a bunch of them, starting with all these baby boys. Okay? So Moses' mom, he's not named by his mom, by the way. The story says that she cares for him for about three months. She can't hide him any longer. Can you imagine hiding a baby for three months? I mean, in a, in a place where you don't have your own house, really. It's like everybody's living in apartments and, you know, 2,000 years ago. And if a baby's crying, you're going to hear it, especially if all the other babies are not there anymore. Right? She hides him for three months. And then she can't hide him any longer, so she prays and she sends him down the river, kind of strategically hoping beyond hope that God will bless her boy and protect him and save him, which he does. Pharaoh's daughter finds him, picks him up, and names him. She's the one who names him Moses. Okay? So, Moses, that name, when you say it in Hebrew, it it sounds like the Hebrew word for draw out. And she says in the scriptures, I drew him out of the water, so I'm going to call him Moses. Okay? So, Moses had a thing, though. The rest of the story continues. He runs away for a while. He didn't know how to use that thing that God gave him properly. We have a thing too, and we have to define what it is. We have to figure out what it is, and then we have to figure out how to use it properly because you can use that thing that God gave you in a bad way. You can use it in a bad way, in a wrong way. And the story continues. Before he runs away, what does he do? He figures out that he's a Hebrew. He figures out that he's not Egyptian. And he starts to care for these people that he has been kind of divorced from for a long time. And he ends up killing an Egyptian who's beating another Hebrew. 
And he thinks he's gotten away with it, right? Thinks he's gotten away with it. And this is what I mean by he had a thing, and we're going to talk about what his thing was in a minute, but he had a thing, and he didn't know how to use it properly. He didn't know how to express what God put in him in a good way. Was it right to protect somebody? Yes. That's not a trick question. Was it right to kill that guy? No. (laughs) Right? And this is getting at what his thing was. Later on, as he runs away, he goes across the desert and he comes to this land of Midian. And he comes to this one guy's daughters are all around, all these ladies are around the well trying to feed their, get water for the animals, for the sheep. And there's these other dudes there, and they're harassing the women, and Moses comes in and drives them all away, and then he draws water for them, and he helps them out. There it is again, drawing water for them, right? So he kind of saves them, and I think that this is his thing. His thing, the thing that God put in him was, you're protector, you're savior, you're redeemer, you're a rescuer, you are going to protect the underdog, You're going to protect the underdog. You're going to live for the underdog. Your thing is to draw others out. You're going to draw this entire people out of this country and and redeem them for me, says God. What is your thing? Like Moses, what is your thing? Because you have a thing, but is it on God's path? So when Moses finally gets to the place where he's able to use the thing that God gave him properly in the right way... What does God call him to do? Save an entire nation is what he calls him to do. And the story continues. I mean, he says to him, I've seen the affliction of my people. This is Yahweh, God's voice. I've seen the affliction of my people and I've heard their cry and I'm sending you, Moses, to bring my people out. And at first, that thing in him caused him to run when he defended that Hebrew because he wielded that gift improperly. But then... He starts to grow, and he protects these women at the well. God is ready to use him then, and it takes a few more years to put him in the right place. He doesn't initially know how to wield and apply that gift, that thing that is in him, in a proper and righteous way. But then God uses him, finally. He's in this place where God can use him to save his people and rescue them. Now, there's this quote, uh, and I've looked it up, uh, It's used in many different Christian resources. I see people put it on social media and attribute it to different authors all the time over the years. So I actually don't know who really said it first, okay? So we can't really, I'm not going to put who said it up there. But here's the quote. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. I don't know about you, But that's a big relief to me, and it's also very scary at the same time. Because it kind of says, no matter how much you've messed up, and we've all messed up, He still loves you and He still wants to use you for His kingdom. God is calling you. The point is that you all have a thing that God put in you, and that God wants to use it in His kingdom for His purposes. What is it? How How do you know what it is that God has placed in your heart that he put there and it's unstoppable? And how does it work within this community? Because he's given it to you to bless the community, to bless his people in his kingdom who are living out the gospel of his kingdom. 
We've talked about another passage that has to do with this. If we take God's story from Genesis to Psalms to uh, the beginning of his people in Exodus, and then we move into the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 4, we have this very telling section of Scripture where Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus, and he says, so Christ himself gave, some of your, some of your uh, translations say he gave some to be, in other words, he's saying, Jesus has set it up so that there's a bunch of people in his church who, who fit into these categories. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. We call that the fivefold equipping or the fivefold gifting of the Spirit to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is, Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You are each a part of this in Christ's body, His church. And He's given you something. He's given you this thing that He's put in you. And you have to discover what it is and allow it to be drawn, to, drawn out and manifest itself in healthy ways. When we began this series on discipleship, we talked about this more full and complete understanding of the gospel, that the good news is the good news of the kingdom of heaven and that we're saved from something, but also saved for something. And then we discover that when it comes to the part about what we're saved for, we are created in God's image. And he believes something about you and he knows you deeply in your being. He wove you together And he wants to draw that special thing out of you and let it make itself manifest. There's something you're saved for. He's given each of us that thing. He has a purpose for you. He is calling you. He is begging you to allow your purpose to shine in his kingdom for all of his people. This is, this is a hard message for our culture today because I, as a pastor, I know all the other pastors I talk to, doesn't matter if your church is smaller than this one, this one, a little bit bigger, or massive. And my wife and I have worked in some of all of that. <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter. A lot of people, Christians, are like, they come in and then they, they kind of fly under the radar and they don't want to do anything. And Jesus is saying, that's not discipleship. Kind of a hard, that's the hard part of this. That scripture that we just read from Ephesians 4 says, if I go back to it, he says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. He's like, we're all supporting ligaments. We're all joined together. So you can't just say, if you follow Jesus, you cannot just say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to serve. I'm, I'm not built for that. Well, if you're not, then what's your thing? Figure out what your thing is and start doing it. Ask someone, up to help, uh, someone else to help you figure out what that thing is. What that, what that section of Scripture in Ephesians says is part of our job 
Let's put this up on the screen. Part of our job as a church family is to call out or draw out that thing in each other's lives because sometimes you don't even recognize what it is that you have in you. And it takes someone else to see it and say, you are really good at that. I don't know anyone else who's really good at that. Why are you so good at that? I think we could use a little bit of that here. Think about this, parents and grandparents. Think about it when it comes to your kids or your grandkids. When you're looking at their lives and you're like, what are they going to grow up to be? What are they good at? We're thinking about that all the time with our kids. I mean, they're trying different things all the time. You got soccer, you got swimming. Now, now our son is like, I want to play clarinet. I'm like, okay. Is he going to be good at it? What, what, are, what are they going to be strong at? You know, that kind of thing. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train a child up in the way of the Lord, and they will not depart from it. Well, what are you, what are you calling out in your kids and your grandkids? What do you see in your children? This is the way we need to act in the church. What do I see in you? What do you see in me? What do you see in that person? Grandparents, what do you see in your grandkids? And likewise, kids, what do you see in your parents? Yeah, because they're part of the church. You wouldn't believe last night my conversation with my daughter. Dad, it started with, Dad, is heaven really up in the clouds? (laughs) You know? And then it went from there, and it got really bizarre. But, um... She's really good at asking questions, and she's five, you know? Kids, what do you see in your parents and grandparents? And parents and grandparents, are you going to listen to your kids? Are you going to listen to them? Will you listen to those younger than you? Because we've all got these things in us that need to be identified and called out. God wants to use it. I'm going to be very careful about my words here. He doesn't want to use you like batteries that you can put in a flashlight and then when they get old, discard them and get another set of batteries. That's not what we're talking about. He's put something in you and it needs to be identified and called out and he doesn't want to use you. He wants to use that gift in you for his glory in his kingdom in a proper way. Something that he has uniquely gifted you and equipped you for a purpose to do, to wield that thing that he's put deep down inside you. And guess what? You get to take rests and breaks. He's all about the Sabbath. You can't work all day and expect for there to be a good harvest and be fruitful unless you take a break. That's just good agriculture. Okay? The metaphor is from the Scripture. So I'm not talking about using you up and depleting you until you're bone dry, dead tired, and you hate being at church. That's not what we're talking about here. I love, uh, recently, anybody else watch this movie? Uh, I'm, I'm really into all the superhero movies. Um, not really into them, but I enjoy watching them. Aquaman. Anybody see Aquaman at all? Am I the only one in here? Darius and Jackie, I can always count on you. Oh, yes, Wendy. Okay, so Aquaman. You're like, where is he going with this? There he is. Just, I got to get me that for Halloween. <laughs> with the trident and everything. Can you have a trident in church? That looks like something else. Okay, um, This movie, of course, like most of the superhero movies, is all about identity. Here's the person who doesn't know who they are. They're gifted with something special, unique, deep inside them for a purpose. They just have to figure it out and wield it correctly, right? Just explained every superhero movie to you of all time, (laughs) all right? That's, That's the plot, 
Okay? He is seeking this legendary trident to stop a war and bring peace. Right? But up until this one defining moment, he believes all the lies in his head and in his heart that people have said to him that he's kind of internalized, just like we do. He believes all the negativity. They call him a half-breed over and over and over again. It's basically like the DC superhero version of, of uh, muggles in Harry Potter. You're, you know, you're a half-breed, you know, or what do they call that? You're not pure blood. And mud blood, yeah, thank you. Everybody knows Harry Potter. Gosh, sometimes we know it better than our Bible. Okay. Um, in the end, he goes up against this thing that's basically Leviathan. Uh, and this, this big, giant Leviathan thing says to him, you're half-breed too, and you're not worthy of the purpose that you think you've been called to, to do. You're not worthy of it. And he, he says back, he, he speaks back to this being. He says, you're right. I'm half-breed. I'm a mongrel. But I didn't come here because I thought I was worthy. He says, I know I'm not. And then the Carathin, which is their word for Leviathan, says to him, well, who are you? Which is the question we started with today. Who are you? Who are you going to be? How's this going to go down? What's your life about? And Aquaman says, I came to save the people that I love. I came to save the people that I love. That's Hollywood. You cannot go wrong with this mix, okay? I came to save the people that I love. And I will overcome all obstacles to find that thing inside me to join up and create a better kingdom. Essentially, he realizes, just like we need to realize, that he, his calling is that of a king. And we've said this over and over in here when we talk about who we are as disciples. You are a son or a daughter of the king. And that makes you a prince or a princess. And it makes you part of his family. And he's identified you as such. And he says, I love you. And just like any other mom or dad, I'm not going to give up on you. And I'm always going to pursue you. And I'm always going to love you. And if you're part of this family, though, we have a family business. We call that the gospel of the kingdom. And I've given you gifts. And I've equipped you with a certain thing that I want you to use as part of this family as a son and daughter of the king. God does not call qualified. He qualifies the call. What is in you that needs to be called out? How about in your marriage? What is your husband really good at? What's your wife really good at? Your wife is likely awesome at a lot of things. Call it out. And the differences between you two are good because God can use those things within the sacrament of marriage, that covenant relationship, to bring a better image of Jesus in me because of my wife and hopefully bring a better image of Jesus in her life because of me and for all of us in those relationships. And how, how about accountability within the body of the church family? Accountability, when you use that term, if you've been around church for a long time, has basically just been truncated into, let me tell you the bad things I've done and the sins I've made so that you can help me and please forgive me, I need to hear that. 
from a real human being so that I can get some help and not do those bad, evil, sinful things anymore. And that's truncated. Accountability is this also. It's about letting the church family call out the good things in you and say, you need to do this for the kingdom. You need to. We need you to. If we don't, then we can't live out that maturity that has been called out in us in Christ Jesus that's in Ephesians 4. We cannot do it without you. You're part of the body. You, if you don't do it, then we're hamstrung. We got our Achilles heel cut. We'll never make it off the starting line. We sure as heck won't finish in this church unless we identify that thing in each other and we put it to good use in God's kingdom. That's what a church does. So as we think about discipleship, we now have this better understanding of the good news that that the gospel is not just good news that we're saved from death and destruction and all the evil things that are in our life, but we're also saved for to do something amazing together in the kingdom. The fact that God's grace not only saves you from a lot of really bad realities, not just bad realities later, but bad realities now, and also the fact that God's grace saves you for something. Today, the realization that we've talked about when it comes to discipleship is you've been made in God's image for a purpose. You've been made in God's image for a purpose. Next week, we're going to talk about community and how we do this together. How do we work together when we're, we have that, all those purposes identified and we're using them? How do we live out a culture of blessing for each other and then for the larger community around us? I don't want to get into that. I'm going to save it for next week. But here's the challenge. Here's the challenge that I want to give you this week. Think back about Psalm 139. Do you believe what that says about what God says about you? Do do I believe that I'm created for a purpose? What is that purpose? And how does that purpose fit within my family, in my community, where I work? How does that purpose fit in my school? How does that purpose fit with my spouse and my kids? How does that purpose fit within the context of my church family? All those things. Because if we figure that out, that's not only going to change us, it's going to change West Seattle. It will. It will change the hearts of people around us if we know what we're about, we know that thing that God has put in us, in you, and when you use it properly, people will see it. People will see it when you use it, as opposed to just thinking it and doubting it in your head. 